Welcome to Soundstage Insider, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the film and television industry. We're bringing you the visionary directors and producers, the talented cinematographers, editors, sound designers, and more who really make the magic happen. We delve deep into their stories, their struggles, and their triumphs. So let's go beyond the red carpet and discover a fascinating world of behind-the-scenes talent. Hello there, welcome to the podcast. My name's Jamie, and today we are diving headfirst into the world of stunt performers with none other than the legendary Sam Hargrave. But before we jump into our interview with Sam, let's take a moment to appreciate the rich history of stunt performers in Hollywood. Dating back to the early days of silent films, these daredevils have been an integral part of the industry, bringing jaw-dropping action sequences to life on the silver screen. Back in the early 1900s, pioneers like Helen Gibson and Yakima Knut paved the way for stunt performers, defying gravity and pushing the boundaries of what was considered possible. Their dedication, skill and sheer audacity captivated audiences, earning them the respect and admiration of their peers. Over the years, as the film industry grew and evolved, so did the role of stunt performers. They became indispensable members of the filmmaking process, developing new techniques, refining safety protocols, and continually raising the bar for what could be achieved in the realm of action and adventure. From thrilling car chases to epic fight sequences, from high falls to fiery explosions, stunt performers risk life and limb to create the heart-pounding moments that keep us on the edge of our seats. They are the unsung heroes who often go unrecognized, allowing the actors they double for to shine in the spotlight. Today, I'm interviewing Sam Hargrave, a true master of his craft, with over two decades of experience in the industry, Sam has worked as a stunt performer, coordinator, and in recent years, he's enjoyed enormous success in the director's chair, or should I say more accurately, directing while strapped to the hood of a car. His credits include some of the biggest action blockbusters in recent years, such as Avengers Endgame, Deadpool 2, Extraction, and the eagerly anticipated follow-up Extraction 2, which premieres in the US June 16th on Netflix. I'm very excited to talk to you today about Extraction 2. Like I mentioned to you a few minutes ago, I saw it last night, absolutely loved it. It was a riot from start to finish. <laughs> um, but we're going to get to that shortly, but I'd love to talk, go, sort of go back in time and sort of find out your origin story a little bit in mm. this industry. I know... You know, you've done a ton of work as a stunt performer and a coordinator and obviously now as a director. So what were, what were your first forays into this industry and how did you get there? That's a great question. And it, it's, you know, settle in for a long answer. No, I, I won't make it that long. But I started, I, I mean, we can go way back to when I was a young lad in North Carolina. I grew up um, with an older sister, younger brother on a farm in North Carolina and I was heavily influenced by movies and TV shows. My 
you know, didn't have like cable when we were out in the middle of nowhere, but we did have, my granddad had cable and he would record these reruns of shows on VHS. And so we would get, you know, old Roy Rogers, Gene Autry shows. We would get um, the Lone Ranger. We would get, um, you know, copies. These are VHS copies sent to my mom and she'd play them for us of Zorro, the old Disney Zorro. So I would watch these things, and as a young, you know, I'm probably six, seven, eight years old, I'm, I'm watching and imitating what I see on the screen so much so that my mom has to learn how to edit between two VHS machines, two VCRs, to remove things that I might do and end up killing my younger brother doing it. <laughs> so I, which is interesting, it's just super fascinating to go back and watch movies now that I remember back then, but I remember them very differently because they were edited for content for my, uh, right. you know, consumption. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, very influenced by that. So I'd end up, my brother, even my sister, I, you know, corral them into helping me make these little movies. We had a little video camera. I'd end up directing them. I had my sister shoot them and my brother's a little younger. So he and I would, you know, duke it out. And so we'd end up doing some sort of fight scene or some sort of shootout with our little, you know, fake guns. And that was, I was probably eight or nine years old. Flash forward to, and knowing nothing about movies, just literally imitating what we saw on screen and just doing the best we could. Flash forward to you know, a couple years later, and I'm you know, 14 years old when I get introduced to martial arts and you know, started just have some social interaction and get some energy out. My mom's like, yeah, get out of the house. And you know, so I start with uh, Taekwondo and that was the beginning of the end, so to speak, because it was through that that I was introduced to Hong Kong cinema. And yeah. when I saw my first Jackie Chan movie, I was hooked. And that was it. I mean, I, I just, all I wanted to do was martial arts. I was training at the dojo and all, all the way up, even through uh, college. I went to college at UNC Chapel Hill. I actually lived at the the martial arts school. And in exchange for cleaning the place and teaching classes, you know, I could stay there for free while I went to school. Hmm. And while there, I would, my daily routine was I'd wake up in the morning, I'd throw in a VHS copy of a Jackie Chan fight scene, cued to that fight scene, of course. And I'd watch it while I ate breakfast, rewind it because it had to be ready for when I got back for lunch. Because then I'd <laughs> take off to school, go through some classes, come back put in, you know, another fight scene, watch it while I ate lunch, go back to school, bike back. And then for dinner, guess what I did? I'd put in another movie and I'd watch it. So I was just voraciously consuming this art form of Hong Kong fight scenes and the falls and the way they'd shoot and edit. And that was priming my mind for this foray into Hollywood that I really had no idea existed. I was fairly short-sighted as a, not just visually, but like <laughs> mentally as a, as a, you know, a youth. And it was, it was all about what I could do in the now. It's like, okay, I can make movies and that's what I want to do. I want to write, direct, act in, like I'm going to be Jackie Chan. And so that was, it. I was going to make movies and didn't know where or how, but that's what I was going to do. And a friend of mine, Thayer Harris, who incidentally second unit directed Extraction and Extraction 2, we've known each other since we were 14 years old. He was the one who said, you know, you've gotten pretty good at falling on your head, you could actually make money doing that in, in Hollywood so you don't have to, you know, be sleeping on couches and mooching off people for the rest of your life, like start a, a career. And I was like, oh, that's fascinating. And so I did, I, I packed up my, my Honda Civic and I drove across country and I started sleeping on couches and just inquiring, like, how do you get into stunts? How do you get into stunts? Knocking on doors, going to 
gyms and, and gymnastic schools, martial arts dojos, and just trying to figure it out. And so that, that was the beginning of the stunt career in Hollywood, all with the future aim of becoming a director. Like I knew I wanted to tell stories. I knew I wanted to direct movies. It's just at the time I was, you know, young and bendy and had like physical abilities. And I wanted to be the stuntman side of Jackie Chan. Yeah. And so I, I got a lot of amazing opportunities in that. I worked on a lot of big, cool movies, um, which, you know, pause there just so we can catch our breaths. And maybe there's another question, but that was the, the start. What got me to Hollywood from North Carolina was insp- inspired by movies TV shows and Louis L'Amour books. I forgot to mention that was one of my favorite authors growing up. And he always had a, an awesome fist fight and a gunfight in his books. And that was another inspiration. So through that led to martial arts, led to film school and led to making my own projects, which are always action oriented. And then I was westward bound. Wow. So, I mean, obviously you were extremely motivated and hustled a lot, but were there any particular qualities that you possessed, do you think, outside of those things that set, set you apart that really got you the gigs or was it something else? I was painfully average and that was helpful, <laughs> which oh, <yeah>? was, <laughs> I mean, my, my looks, my height, like, you know, background, I, I was, you know, a six foot tall, 175 pound white dude in L in Hollywood a lot of actors that you could double so and i had so a specific skill set but then i did i just was very fortunate because contrast and not being glib about it but it was it's it's just the way that my cookie crumbled i happened to i didn't control that that just happened to me whereas i've known a lot of people much more talented than me like my friend you know thayer harris in in so many ways so much more talented it just so happens he's five foot eight you know kind of a very character looking um you know guy looks very kind of Eastern European, not as many leading doubling roles for him in Hollywood. Right. Like it's, it's just harder. And even to fight the lead who's probably six foot, they don't want to pick on the small guy. So that's not fair. That's not, you know, that's just unfortunately for, I mean, he's made a great career. I don't want to, you know, say woe is there, but just the, that's just kind of the, the natural way of it. How I found it, I was very lucky to be average like i was average heights average looks average abilities that i fit in amongst the hollywood yeah but average in hollywood is kind of like a little higher than the rest of the world right (laughs) Right. now that now that's in looks right like look wise i mean height build just like it could could morph into a lot of different things i could play taller play shorter and then the the specificity like besides hustling like the skill set that i think helped propel me forward came from those that 10,000 hours of watching those Jackie Chan movies and then going right. to film school and spending so much time studying that and filming it and doing it. Like you only get better at something by doing it. And so yeah. we made short film after short film after short film, whether it was for class or not, it was just me and my friends making these things. And so we got better and we got better and we kept doing it. And it was, you know, the drive, that, but also the uh, intentional learning of that skill set that I knew I wanted to use that was I think was the skill set that that helped propel me because I would get invited on movies for the run of the show not just because I could double the lead and do some fights and falls is I was also playing a second role which was at that time this thing was coming into prominence called the stunt viz or fight viz where the stunt team would choreograph shoot and edit their version of the action from the script and hand that to the director and say Mm. the visual representation of this is what your action could look like 
And because I knew cameras and I knew editing software and, you know, sounds and all that stuff, I, I became kind of a go-to guy on those movies. And so I kind of had job security. So even if I couldn't dub, double someone on that show, or maybe I didn't have all the skills, I could still be on the run of show because I could shoot reliably and, you know, quickly shoot and turn over these things. And it was help make the stunt team look good and helps the directors visualize their movie and give them something to choose from. And do you think the fact that you had that almost third person perspective on your work, because you were such a fan of the genre that you you can visualize it outside of your own performance, if that makes sense, rather than like a martial arts person just coming in to fil- to shoot a scene, you have that more bigger picture, a bigger picture sense of what's going on. Definitely. Even to the point where when, when we were training in martial arts, we humorously called our video cameras, called it Sensei Sony. <laughs> because we'd, we'd put yeah. up this camera and we, we weren't just doing things because it felt right or because, you know, someone told us to. It was, it was became all about how it looked and how it worked. Yeah. So we would put this up and we would be doing a fight scene and it might feel good. You're like, aha, like I, I punch is really fast. But then you look at it and like, I can't even see that I'm punching. It's yeah. so it's it's I'm not I'm not extending my punch and I'm not twisting my hips. And so you would look at it and it would rewire the way that you actually practiced so that it would look better for camera because ultimately that's what we wanted to do is perform for the camera so that became our instructor was like watching ourselves back and so i had many experiences of you know being like oh man i you know self-critical being like man this is terrible i thought i was like a black belt i'm terrible i gotta work on these kicks more so it pushed us to practice harder and specifically for the camera so that was that was very helpful in my career yeah, love that. Um, just as a side note, in your various forays around ho- Hollywood, have you ever met Jackie Chan? Have you met him? Never, and that's one of it's on my bucket list what, to yeah. to meet that man and just say thank you for yeah. kicking off my career and kind of inspiring me to be where I am today. That would be yeah, it's on the list. Cool. Um, really super basic question: How badly have you hurt yourself? How many injuries have you sustained? <laughs> like, presumably a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, every stunt man gets banged up and stunt woman. Uh, I've been very fortunate not to have any major injuries, which I would classify as, you know, hospitalizations or mm. surgeries. My, you know, I've I've broken many bones. I have torn many muscles. I think that probably the worst thing, if you were to classify it, would probably be the, you know, head trauma, like concussions. I've had more of those than you know, it's probably healthy for a human being to have. And so yeah. that it, it got to where, you know, in later years where the lights go out faster, <laughs> like it's once you, once you're, um, you know, it's in, in fight, the fighting world, it's called getting like a glass, a glass jaws, like it's your body yeah. intuitively, it's like, oh, if we're going to get rocked like that, we're going to shut everything down to protect ourselves. And so now it takes less and less of that to shut down. And so mm-hmm. it got to the point where it wouldn't, you know, you know, it, it was harder to get through a, a a show without having a head injury and so it was like mm, time to probably shift more towards the stunt coordinating and directing side of things yeah and we're going to move on to that but i still have a few more questions about stunt work <laughs> yeah do it like that it's um, so funny just as a quick aside i think it's yeah. one of the most ama- funniest things where i you know go direct a movie it does great things for you know for netflix and then if you tell somebody oh i, I direct movies they go oh that's that's fun um, and then you tell them you're a stunt man. I did stunts for Captain America. They're like, oh my gosh, tell me all about it. Like, that's amazing. So that yeah. card, the stunt man card or those questions is much more interesting to the general public than directing. 
So are there any kinds of stunts that particularly scare you? Are you not a heights guy or like, is there anything that particularly you don't like and you steer away from? Uh, no, not, not really. I mean, cause my approach to, to stunts was and kind of to life is I like learning new things. I like new challenges. There are some stunts that I haven't been able to do just because that wasn't my specialty and I didn't have the time or, you know, to, to learn them. And so I wouldn't be asked to do them, which would put someone else or myself at risk. You know, that I'm not the guy they're going to call if they need someone to jump out of an airplane, you know, and, and land safely. You know, they've got other friends that could do that. I'm not the guy they're going to call if you want someone to ride a wheelie on a motorcycle through, you know, through the set and land it right next to an actor. That's not my, no, I can ride a motorcycle. I can drive cars like at the basic level, but my specialty the kind of focus that got me a lot of work and where my passion was, was in fights, falls and, and wire stunts was kind of, and which makes sense be my background and with martial arts and my love for Hong Kong cinema. So mm -hmm. that was my inspiration. So it make, kind of makes sense. That was where I got, spent most of my time, got most of my jobs. That was my focus. So you mentioned about getting better at being a stunt person where do you where do you go to learn to get better how do you figure that out like is it's not something you like can go to the gym for right it's 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 really crazy that there isn't a more institutionalized version of stunts or certification for mm -hmm. coordinators or performers there are in different countries but i'm i'm just referring to so anybody in the uk or australia different places this is not this is a different reality i'm speaking from my experience which was the united states it's kind of the wild west meaning i ha there was no certification there was no you know place school you go to and say oh i'm certified from such and such a place and people go well that means something there are yeah. different stunt schools around the country and i'm not knocking on them because it's a great place for people to start but that doesn't hold a lot of weight crazily it's a reputation based business and kind of a put up or shut up kind of thing where it's like if you have the skills then you'll get hired again and you, it's kind of reputation based where this guy is, he's he can get it done safely. The crazy thing is how do they know that? Well, the right, right way, I, they just, there's really no, there's no process other than like the one I used to get in was I put together a stunt reel. So mm. I had all these short films that I'd done and I had in like my, like Thayer said, I fall on my head pretty good. I had a bunch of crazy falls in real life situations. So I didn't do a lot in the gyms, right? Like a lot of, reels and stuff that i would see guys doing these falls and these crazy acrobatic falls but in a in a, in a gym like a gymnastics gym onto mats i was like well i'm never going to do that in a movie let's go do it in the real world so it'd be onto concrete a lot of my major injuries came not on big <laughs> movies where i was getting paid it was me just trying to prove myself to myself and to the world that i could do this stuff so crazy falls like we'd find old construction sites and do a fight scene and then you know fall off the second story hit here and then fall to the ground and you're like <laughs> why would you do people why would you do that it's like well because they did it in hong kong movies <laughs> i i wanted to challenge myself so i i developed a, a stunt reel that was like you know 90 seconds long on a dvd at that time and of just me fighting and falling in the real world environment and i would send that out to people and they'd see it and be like you know are you crazy and i'm like yeah maybe <laughs> and i got an opportunity uh, to I guess show my stuff on this TV show Supernatural that was that the pilot was shooting in LA. I got asked to double Jensen Ackles, and that was the first in, if you will. And then I, you know, just met some other people, got hired. This large call for stunt people on Pirates of the Caribbean, 
uh, two, I think. It was. Well, they shot two and three together. So it was two and three. And it was at Universal Studios. And it was, I mean, it was 150, 200 stunt performers. Wow. Men, women, everybody. And it was just, there's so many stunts in that movie. So they were just like, oh, you'll do. Come on. Yep. Come on. In. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you. And I got an opportunity, very gratefully, to, to work on that show. And when you have that many stunt performers around you, if you get the opportunity to perform a stunt, people see it. And then, yeah. you know, people remember it and they talk about it or whatever. And so that was the start of me getting, getting reputation for being a guy who would, you know, take some pretty crazy wild falls and who could do some some pretty decent fight scenes. And so word spreads. And then the next thing you know, when someone's talking, they say, hey, we need a guy to fall off this thing. And they're like, well, this guy, you know, Sam did, he did it in this show that I saw him do. They want you to call him. So you get a phone call and you go up and you do that job well. And then it just, it's, you know, it starts to build momentum and off you go but that but yeah. to answer your question there's it's not like you go and say hey i'm certified from you know the so-and-so stunt school i'm a stunt man it's like doesn't happen that way you're a, i'm a stunt man suddenly because i got an opportunity someone gave me a chance i performed well and then people talked about it and i got another chance and i just kept doing that it's really wild in the states yeah. how that works you don't get the falling off of a thing badge or no it's, it's crazy <laughs> it's crazy not in the u.s like i said there's other like and i know in that there's a the stunt registry in the uk there's different places that have a more formal grading system so you do have to qualify but not in the u.s which is wild is stunts covered under sag aftra or is it a different it union it yeah, is no, yeah no it's yeah, it's 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 all under the same umbrella yeah it's acting stunts and background performing which is kind of wild but all same yeah. union so when, and we, we're sort of morphing towards your directorial work, but still as a stunt performer working with a director, do you find they ask for more outrageous stunts than you can deliver? Or are you pushing the director to go further often? Or is it just case by case? Well, I mean, usually if you're on a set with with the stunt coordinator who who's worth their salt, they're not going to let you or you know hire someone who's unable to do the stunt that is needed for the show because that becomes you know someone could get hurt that becomes an insurance you know like a liability claim yeah and then just you know you lose time and money because the production is, is affected by that you know usually you can people can get in trouble sometimes by, by you know lying on a resume saying oh yeah i, I do high falls and then they're like great where you're now you're falling off of that building and you're like, uh, uh, actually, the highest <laughs> fall I did was like, you know, off of my bed. And then, you know, now you put people in a, in a tough situation. So, I mean, I, I never did that. I tried to be very, you know, forthright with my abilities because I didn't want anybody to get hurt, myself included. Yeah. Um, so usually in my experience, I was the one who would see, uh, you know, have a situation come up and I would be trying to do more than was asked. Mostly right. because I'm just in life i'm trying to push the envelope and say like, you know this poem that my my dad you know read me as a kid i don't know the whole poem anymore but by edgar guest of uh, it's called good enough like basically it's like beware of good enough because you, you could stop there and it's like keeping you from being great yeah. so it was always like oh we can do more you know we can we can go faster we can like and that is a dangerous game to play and, and i learned some you know lessons along the way from more experienced people of like you know there's there's a balance you know, you may want to push it for your own sake, but the general audience is not going to know the difference between, you know, a double twisting backflip and a, just a single, like do, do what you can do repeatedly, do what you can do safely. And the people aren't going to know the difference. Um, so there, again, there's a balance between pushing the envelope and doing things that haven't been done before. And then just remembering that it's a profession and you want to do this for you know many years. 
But I was, I would, I would rock onto it and I would usually I'd get upset if I wasn't allowed to I'd rock on a set and I'd go, oh, it's like, okay, and you're supposed you know, okay, you get shot and the idea is you get shot and you're supposed to just tumble down the stairs. You go, okay. But if I went over the railing, like I could clip that statue, then hit this glass thing, go into the, go off the edge of the ship and fall another 30 feet. And they're like, that's, that's fantastic. However, the camera is here. So if you do that, like no one's going to see it. So that's, that's great. Just settle down, kid. That was usually, you know, my yeah. sense. But then what was, was really cool transitioning, I got to utilize that kind of um, desire to make things bigger when I was doing just a quick side story. When I was doing coordinating Captain America Civil War and doubling uh, Captain America, kind of a twofer there, I there was a stunt as scripted where there was an explosion and Captain America you know flies out a window and lands on the concrete. And I, I read that and I was like, oh, that's cool. What if <laughs> it's like we were to have like say there's a balcony and he goes through the glass, he hits the clips the edge of the balcony, he goes backwards and he hits this awning as so he falls from the awning down to a truck to the ground. And that's when he hits the concrete. And, you know, the Russos are like, can you do that? I was like, don't you leave that to me. But if you like the idea, you know, yeah. And they're like, sure, great. And so that's one time, I mean, many other times in my career, but a memorable one where I got to like push the envelope, make it a little bigger. And it totally inspired by Hong Kong action cinema, like that multi-level fall. Got to oversee the building of it, like doing the math to like angle it just the right way, you know, put pads in just the right place, do the disc. So we, from conception to building it to then actually doing the stunt or, or second half of it, the other stunt double, it was doubling cap. Jackson Spidell did the first part because he's way better on a wire and it just looked better. And that's an interesting moment, um, story within a story is like that moment where you're st- sitting there in charge and you face to face with your ego. And your ego says, yeah. I want to do that stunt because I, you know, I want, I want the glory, but your rational brain says, that's not the best thing for the movie. Mm. You know, this guy, this guy actually does that better than me. And so to admit that to yourself while in the on the set, in the middle of all this stuff and go, you know what? <sighs> it's okay because it's the character and that's what the audiences see. Share it with the guy. Like he gets to get on you know screen and we actually ended up sharing a, a world stunt award for that stunt. So it was actually a really cool moment of growth being there and just realizing that like, you know, you're not the guy in this moment. You do the second part, the part that's a little easier, gravity, just, just fall and gravity will take care of the rest. So I did half of the stunt, the second half. Um, yeah. But anyway, so creating that thing and showing up on set and wanting to do bigger and better than the director had envisioned, that was something I really enjoyed doing in the stunt world. Love that. And interestingly, you mentioned about the sort of persona of a stunt person. Is there a persona that stunt people tend to have? Presumably they're not desperate for attention because you're somewhat unrecognized a lot of the time uh, compared to the you know protagonist of the movie you know yeah i mean there is i mean you get kind of the the classic one is like you know the daredevil who just wants to do crazy stuff and you know go out and and drink beers and get crazy that i i always i mean it was half true meaning like i always wanted to do crazy things and push myself i'm sure all of us are striving for some level of attention you know at a deep level Hollywood draws out some very interesting, you know, characters for that. I think for that reason, because it's about, it is about in that moment, the attention is on you. Yes. It's the actor and people go like, oh, that was, that was cool. But in that moment, everybody's looking at you and everybody's like, it's all about you. And then afterwards, if you do it right, you know, and survive it, you get a round of applause. And so it feels good. So I definitely think you're chasing that dopamine hit for sure. But the, the persona that, I mean, I tried to 
embody was more more of like the the filmmaker who yes it was you know the athlete who's trying to push the envelope but the filmmaker who's trying to get the great shot yeah and so if that meant you know that i had to do something that was gonna suck repeatedly i would go you know what it's worth it because film is forever you know that's like in the mindset rather than like oh let's you know watch me do this cool stuff because i'm the best it was more like this is if it's gonna make the movie better like that's super cool and sure the added bonus is i got to do something cool that looks great on my reel or people go talk about it years later and go wow that was crazy what you know sam did but ultimately the the basis for me was what can i do to make the movie better because i just want i wanted to replicate the things i saw as a kid like that was just really impressive action the feeling i get or got no, I still get it. When I watch, I'll YouTube a, a Hong Kong fight scene if I'm feeling down or need some inspiration. And I still, to this day, get that little just feeling in my stomach of excitement seeing those performers do that thing. And so if I can provide that for someone else, that's a huge, that's a huge win. So let's bring it back to uh, Extraction. Extraction Two is the new movie. Um, presumably, and I'm I'm making a leap here, but the the intent was to take things up a notch, and it's <laughs> quite a challenge from the first one, right? I mean, it, for one thing, it was hugely successful. You tell me what was the what was the intent when you you started out with this movie? Extraction Two came about because of the success of the first one. I mean, yeah. the fans made it happen. We didn't necessarily intend to make a, a sequel. It was just the reaction that was so positive that, and we saw the potential for uh, a franchise or a, you know, a series that Netflix could have and be proud of that we all could be proud of. And so it was the fans that made it happen. So in the second one, all sequels set out to do better than the first, I would imagine. Like I wasn't, it's like very few people have the goal of making a subpar sequel. <laughs> yeah. So for us, yeah, the goal was very similar to, I think, to everyone, but when we got really specific about it, upping the ante on the action was kind of a, a given in that, you know, we did the first movie, it got a lot of attention and, you know, the Warner was a big thing. So we're like, all right, we got to do something like that, but bigger and better. And how do we put, Tyler Rake in situations that would be even more difficult to get out of. And that was kind of a given and exciting, an exciting challenge. More importantly for Joe and Chris and, and me was emotionally, like what for the mm. character of Tyler Rake, how do we push him even further? Because we kind of, the first one kind of got to a, you know, it's like a 10 where you're losing a child and you leave them to, you know, because you're scared of being there. It's, it's a, that's a pretty high thing, a pretty elevated emotional stakes. So yeah. how do we top that? How do we round that out? What do we do to continue that? Or how do we make audiences feel something like they hopefully did on the first movie? So that was actually the most challenging part was how do we learn more about Tyler Rake without being repetitive? How do we yeah. top the emotional stakes without, you know, giving somebody else cancer that's dying? Like, how do you, you know, how do you <laughs> make it interesting yeah. and relatable? And so that a lot of the work went into that aspect is the storytelling, because as crazy and as cool as the action is, if we don't care about the character, 
it's harder for people to relate to and be inspired by the action or even make it through the movie, to be honest. Like, if they don't care, they're going to, like, pause it and be like, oh, next. I'm going to watch, you know, whatever. Tiger King, that was when they first, we were competing with Tiger King the first time. Oh, really? I, don't know if they're doing, <laughs> I don't know if they're doing another one now, but whatever that Tiger King equivalent is, I changed the channel and watch that now. So, it it was definitely. Succession, maybe. <laughs> yeah, succession. Yeah, I'd be like, yep, now that's more exciting. Because, and why is it that people love succession? Because of the character development, because there's stakes mm. and there's like, you know, these moments where you're like, oh my gosh, what would I do? Or like, I would never do that, but would I? It makes you think about your own morality, your own humanity, and and just kind of you relate to these, these people on screen. And so, if, I think the reason people would want to watch that over a lot of action movies is because of that. So, we tried yeah. to give it. Now, I'm not comparing us to Succession, all of you Succession fans out there. <laughs> in no way am I comparing the two. But... The comparison, I think, is valid in that the reason Succession is successful is because of the character development and you care about these people. And so, we tried to emulate that formula in Extraction. Yeah. It's like, make a character, and not just Tyler Rake, you know, with, with Nick Khan and Yaz and her brother Yaz and the villains and the family that's being rescued. All of these characters have their own stories and try to make them relatable and you know, make each one of them have a journey that we can we as audience members can relate to or, you know, root for them in some way. Yeah. And presumably pacing is is crucially important to a movie like this, but that has such intense action sequences. If it was just wall to wall, the intensity would be lost, you know, it would be gradually diminished. So yeah. having those sort of light and shade moments is is sort of a key to the impact of the action, right? Very much so. Yeah. The, the pacing in an action movie, it's like, it's like a musical piece, right? If it's just, yeah. if you're just flat out, you know, use a bluegrass as an example, you're just flat picking these, you know, crazy notes the whole time and there's no break. There's no like re resting moment. It all just becomes a lot of noise. And so it's the, the, the great musical movements that have, have this melodic up and down and like, uh, you know, fast and slow and moments of rest, moments of tension. And so we tried to do the same with Extraction 2. The challenge was the action pieces because we had this crazy set piece or a couple of crazy set pieces that took up a lot of screen time you know and traditionally they'd be a little shorter and it would be a little more spread out so you'd have the um you know just a little more of that up and down we had these three huge set action set pieces so then we had to figure out a way to pace that out and expand, you know, puts things in between. And it was, it was a very interesting challenge editorially and even just shooting it conceptually because the pacing is a little different than, you know, a lot of action movies because of the sizable chunk of these, yeah. these sequences that just kind of come one and like, you know, into the first act into the second and then boom, one at the end, kind of middle of the second act and then one in the third act. It's like, whoa, just huge action set pieces. Um, but hopefully, you know, that we achieve that music musicality. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, actually diving in a little bit to one of those big action sequences, and yeah. I, I, we're not going to give any plot away here, but the prison one is the one I'm referring to. That felt like a one take kind of a thing. Oh, presumably it wasn't, but I mean, how could you? But it was breathless to watch. Everything about that sequence was exhausting. Really? <laughs> um, <laughs> reading it on the page was exhausting. And then, yeah. you know, put putting it into, you know, a digestible format for for preparation was exhausting the scouting process finding all those locations was it was just a super exhaustive and yet very rewarding process yeah. and it was and i'm glad you actually said that that it, it you know felt like one take because that's the intention of the for me of the wonder is the feeling 
the the how it gets done whether you do it as all one continuous or you hide stitches in there i think that's becomes just um semantics really because the to me this is my again again i'm sure there's all kinds of people that will rip rip this opinion apart but for me it's all about a feeling and what we're trying the feeling we're trying to evoke in this cinematic experience is one of tension and immersion for the viewer so that it feels like you are on this mission with tyler rake so if we convey that feeling you know, the how and all that stuff is, is less important to me. But as long as you get that feeling, then I think we've succeeded. Yeah, it definitely did feel like Good. one long piece. It didn't feel like a shtick either. You know, like sometimes with a movie where they're like, we did it all in one take and they, they're really <laughs> showing it off. Um, yeah. It really just felt like one sequence of an event happening, start, middle, end, you know. Great. Um, also, it struck me that, and this may be totally left field opinion here, but it felt almost like you were, and I mean this in the most positive way, almost like you were a protagonist in a video game. Like you were so integral into the process that you were almost playing it as the viewer. Yeah, and that's the, that's that immersive experience I was talking yeah. about is because you, the way we, we try to set this up and when, when I'm operating camera and I did probably half of that sequence and then Nate Perry did the other half and then we had a lot of operators doing stuff, but the, the lion's share was, was between the two of us. And what I told him was like when he was shooting some of the prison stuff was we are the audience. So don't try to be the best cameraman and get the perfect shot. Try to react to, I mean, you have the advantage of knowing what's coming because you've rehearsed it and choreographed it, but try to react as if you're seeing this stuff for the first time, because that's what the viewer is going to react to. So, be, you know, when someone falls to the ground, you follow them to the ground. If you hear something, you know, over to your right, if someone calls out and you as an audience, if you want to turn your head, turn the camera. Like, you know, yeah. and not it's not saying just go with your, you hear a bird and look over there and that's where the crew is. Like, it's all planned out. But in that planning, the feeling should be that it, you, you're, it's like a first person experience, at least the camera is. Where you're you're in there, and when you know when Tyler falls to the ground, you, you follow Tyler. But then someone screams for his name. You look over at her, and you're like, ah. Oh. And then you know you're hearing a fight over here. It's like, oh, Tyler. And I look back over here. So we tried to make the camera moves organic to the process, which one makes it very immersive and very kind of video game esque. But two lends itself in that style to hiding cuts because many times when we do like a, a pan over or you know pass through something in the foreground it's not a cut it's just part of the it's part of the you know the the blocking of the scene but sometimes it is and then you know mm. the challenge is and I, I i would love to play that is be a drinking game you, you put put the movie on and every time you find you know a stitch or, you know, where it actually is you gotta you know, do a shot yeah there's a lot of them in there so you probably have to do that over a series of nights because at one time it would just get plastered yeah um well speaking about the uh highly choreographed nature of it is does that still leave room for any spontaneity in the moment or is it just so locked down to me spontaneity comes from rehearsal because Mm. it's like i use the example of a comedian right like robin williams one of the most amazing improvisational comedians to ever live he didn't make that stuff up he didn't walk on stage and just pull it out of the blue. If you watch his progression as a comedian, you see him testing jokes early. He's like, oh, that one worked. Keep hold on to it. So the more he did it, the more he had to draw on. So every time this amazing new improvisation came out, it is something he'd practice and rehearsed either at the very least in front of a mirror, but probably in front of audiences hundreds of times. 
And so, it, but he yeah. made it feel new. So similarly on the film set, the more you can rehearse these scenes, the more you know them inside and out, backwards and forwards, everybody does, the more happy accidents you're going to get because you have the freedom to do, you know, to have a yeah. moment where there's an ad lib or there's like, maybe there's a stumble, but you continue and that stumble makes it feel more real. Like there's one, like two, two actually, um, two examples of that. One is both are around the train, but one is inside the train when Rake is fighting with these two in the Ghazi and it's once they've gone inside the tunnel and it's a hand to hand combat. And he, there's a moment where if you watch it, where the train kind of lurches and everybody stumbles. Yeah. Chris stumbles, the two stunt performers, the cameraman stumbles, but everyone yeah. does it at the same time. They all kind of look at each other and continue the sequence. And that's the one that made the movie because it felt so <laughs> real. It felt like as yeah. an audience, you also lost your footing. And then, and you watched everyone yeah. recover and then you kept going, you know, we did multiple takes after that because we were like, ah, you know, bumping the, bumping the train and we got to do it again. But upon looking at it in the editing room, we're like, actually the most, the feeling again, it's all a feeling like some of the other stuff wasn't as good. It wasn't as clean, but the feeling was real and it was more immersive. Yeah. And so that, you know, a little happy accident. It, the point is if that hadn't been rehearsed, meaning not the, the stumble, but if we hadn't rehearsed that. So they knew what to do, knew how to communicate with each other. They probably would have, oh, they stumbled. Everybody just stopped, put the camera down, cut, cut, cut. You know, that's a mistake. Let's try it again. But because it was so rehearsed and they were so in the moment, they just, it's part of it. They, yep, the train moved. Let's keep going. And so they were allowed, their, the rehearsal process and their familiarity with the moves and where the camera was going to be allowed them to just keep going and have this fun that really comes through, uh, through the screen. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so you've worked with Chris Hemsworth a lot over the years. Yeah. Avengers, Thor, Two Extractions. Yeah. <laughs> um, is he the kind of person who wants to do his own stunts or is he happy to hand things over to pros? He, You know, he, he is the consummate professional and the hardest working actor in show business. The, the reason I say consummate professional is he will do everything required of him to get the best shot or the best representation of the character. And he's very happy to sit back and allow his stunt doubles to go in and take like a hard hit. And he's like, you know, I got a sore back. There's, I, I got three kids. Bobby, get in there and give him hell. You know, like he's got no problem <laughs> yeah. because he understands that the, the person who has trained the, their life to do this thing is probably going to do it better than him. And, you know, it's safer. And if something happens, yeah. God forbid, we, you know, nothing did on that show, thankfully. But if something happens, it's like now we can, you know, keep shooting because Chris isn't injured. That's literally the, the reason a stunt performer exists is so that the yeah. actor isn't the one, you know, getting hurt. And so he's, and you know, in that sequence, he did 98% of all of it because it's on his face and it's required. So he's not, he's never complaining saying like, oh, can't you just have the double do it in face replace? Nah, if he has to run 10 times, you know, a hundred yard dash carrying this little, little girl, which, you know, over time gets heavier, he's going to, he's going to yeah. do it. Like he's not going to, he's not complaining and being like, oh, make the stunt double do it. Or if it's like, um, you know, oh, just can't you put a cut in there because I don't want to be the back of my head. He'll he'll do like we do on the train. And he he runs. We see his face, but then he turns and his backs to us for a while. But he's like, ah, but I, I move in a specific way. I want it to be me. And he climbed up on the top of a moving train with a helicopter, you know, feet away from him, probably single digit feet away. 
just blades whirling and he's up there holding the minigun firing and you know and he and i are doing this dance on top of the train and that's him and because you know he's he's the you know he's the closest thing to tom cruise that we have other than tom cruise you know he's he gets out there and does so much of his stuff and it's it's only the things that he is you know not going to it's not going to make the movie better by him doing it or he's you know going to risk injury like we lit him on fire normally that'd be the stunt double and we talk about face replacement he was like nah i want to do it i want to get in there and we so we talked about it and made sure it was safe and he did it he was you know all night he was lit his arm on fire and he was punching stunt performers while on fire you mentioned the chances of things occasionally going wrong you must feel as with your experience in stunt work and now your your role as a director you must feel a weight of responsibility for people's safety does that weigh heavily on you or is that are you comfortable because you know that world so in, intimately? Uh, very much so ultimately this we're making movies we're not you know necessarily now ins- we can inspire people and maybe save lives but we're not curing cancer we're not like it's this is entertainment so ultimately the end goal is to get everyone back to their you know loved ones at the end of the day or the end of the shoot so safety is hugely important to me and because of my background i've been in some you know hairy situations and some some spots where i've i've seen things go wrong and so i've learned a lot of safety imp- you know implementations and and I, I would never want anyone or allow people to do stuff that I didn't think was possible to do safely. So I'm very aware of that. And there's times when, truthfully, that's one of the reasons why I operated camera on a lot of the fight sequence or the 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 Warner sequence on Extraction, the first first movie, is because there were times where I wanted the camera to be in a position that I didn't feel comfortable putting a camera operator in. Not that they couldn't get the shot. And if things went well, yeah, they would have done it better than me. It's if things go wrong, do they have the mm. wherewithal and practice to get out of that situation as I know I do? And then say something happens, God forbid, and I don't get out. Well, then it's me. I put myself in that situation and I'm the one who's hurt and I can direct from a wheelchair. <laughs> you know, Like that's <laughs> what's going through my mind. That's maybe not the most logical thing, but that's how I felt about it, which is why I, you know, ended up doing a lot of the stuff where I strapped myself to the hood of a car. And, and there were times, which I think there's behind the scenes footage of where, you know, the cars, they, you know, they crashed. Like it wasn't supposed to happen, but things went south and I was able to, you know, move my foot or wh- whatever it was that, you know, I could do because of my time in the stunt world. And you have this, like I'm watching in the monitor, sure, but all of my, like I'm listening, I'm, I have like my peripherals all taking in everything, the distance of the cars, like where people are. So I'm not, it's not just, I'm not tunnel vision on the monitor, like I'm seeing everything. But that's just, but mm. that comes from years of doing something, right? It's And I, and that's where, um, I put like on the second movie on Extraction 2, that's why I utilize Nate Perry a bunch is because he is another stunt performer who's also a great camera operator. And I felt very comfortable with him in those spots because I've seen him, I've put him in some rough spots and seen him get out of them. You know, they were rehearsed, but I, he knows his way around a film set and a camera very well. And so I felt comfortable allowing him to do certain things and it allowed me to take a step back and view it from a 10,000 foot view, which is see all the different things, which was nice for a change. Like in the first one. And sometimes when you're operating, you just, you get in there and you're so in it 
that you have to, it takes twice as long because you got to go watch playback and it. So when you can sit back and watch it from afar, sometimes it's very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with Extraction, Extraction 2, I know a big focus for you guys was doing real stunts, right? It wasn't just putting it in later as CGI. Do you think there is going to be an ever-increasing hunger for reality, that which is organic and real, in a world where, I mean, it seems to be racing so quickly these days with virtual reality and um, AI and all that kind of stuff. Do you think there is going to be a, a switch possibly to, to more organic reality? I think there already is. And I don't know if it necessarily ever went anywhere. I just think that the amount of CG and computer generated characters just kind of, you know, caught up to the, the real life action. But with, you know, with the Mission Impossible movies and the John Wick movies and extraction movies, yeah. the success of those franchises, I think, is testament to audiences really enjoying real action performed by real actors and stunt performers. And it's something that I'm sure one day AI and you know, CG is going to be good enough where you won't know the difference. Like you're going to look at it and be like, wow, that was incredible. And it was completely fake. But as a viewer, the, yeah, like having a sense that there were stakes when it was being shot adds to the enjoyment of the I think piece. so. If it was just, well, it was all created on a green screen, you know, it was, they were just literally in Lycra and they was pointing at a tennis ball, like, it loses something. 100%. And I know you've done a lot of that work, so I'm not doing it no, down. No, 100%. But, you know. And it, you can, and it's still like, and it, I don't know, it may get to that point because I think part of the, you know, it, our reality is is so interesting. It's, you know, that's why AR is so interesting too, because it's all about perception, right? Like, we, you know, what we what we deem is real or sense is real is only real because we think it is right. It's because that's how we perceive it. So I think what you're referring to, which I totally agree is the feeling of you can, t you can still tell like that. You can tell when you're like that one, mm, nah, that one was something was off and you don't know why. Like, like a lot of times I look at it, I go, nah, I, I question that part of it's skepticism because so much is CG these days, but part of it is this intuition and in the human psyche that knows the difference because we, you know, evolving over these millions of years to know the human body and the way it moves and, the, you know, motivations and all that stuff. Okay, what I'm getting at is once we, once we arrive at a place where, and maybe we'll never will, and that would be great for us, great for stunt performers, great for directors who want to do it real. But if we ever do arrive at a place where it can be done com and completely fool the human mind that that is real and then you know what what's to stop the the stories around that of being like yeah it's real and you won't be able to know the difference meaning i'm not saying if you want to lie and but if you're told it's real and it's real and it looks real and it feels real then you're like then we're in trouble i think that's way more impl <laughs> larger implications <laughs> yeah. in, in global politics yes. and, but that i think it's heading in that direction and it, but until that time i still feel to this day the reason why the you know People feel the difference is because the stakes, they know real people are doing that. And so they empathize. They're like, oh, gosh, like that hurts because I've whatever stubbed my toe before. So if falling down those stairs hurts more than that, gosh, that's crazy. And so there's an appreciation and a respect. It's kind of like even yep. in like hunter gatherers, you have like this warrior that does this crazy thing and takes down the saber toothed tiger. There's a certain level of awe in that. And you go, wow, that's impressive just from a human feet standpoint. So you have you have that going and you have the the sensibility that we as humans could still tell the difference between CG and real and we'll always kind of 
gravitate towards the real, I think. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, so we've got to wrap this up. I've got to let you go. I could talk about this stuff all day long, but you know, so could I. Will, I, I will I, start. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just finally, bringing it back to stunt work in particular, what would you suggest for those of our listeners who are interested in getting into this kind of line of work? Is there something? I mean, presumably it's different today than it was when you started. Like, what would you what would you recommend? Gosh, that is a great question uh, to wrap it up with. But I would give, and I'll, I'll two-part this, but the first part, I would give the advice that I got when I was first starting stunts, and I just have to because I think it's great to pass it on. I was sat down and told by a former uh, stunt performer, I think he's still doing it, but he said to me, son, if there's anything else you can imagine doing with your life, do it. Because this is a very difficult business, but physically, emotionally, mentally, it's hard on family, friends, it's hard on you. So if you can think of doing anything else, do it. But if you can't, if it's like burning passion inside of you and that's what gets you out of the bed in the morning, don't let anyone stop you from pursuing your dreams. That's like the, you know, that's the fortune cookie version. The practical application would be if you want to make it a career, you're going to need certain skills and a kind of a, what I term the bread and butter of stunt performing is, you know, there's, yes, you can go, if you're a great motorcycle rider or you're an amazing high diver or like a, you know, even a high level X games athlete, there's, there's specialties that you can get into. That is a way in. And oftentimes that's the fastest way in your mm-hmm. bread and butter. Even if you have those, you know, those uh, amazing skills, your bread and butter is probably going to be fighting and falling. Because that's, in quotes, cheap action. You'll get it on a TV show. You'll get it on a big movie. And those are things you'll be called to do over and over again. So the better you get at those basic skills that you'll be called to do over and over again, you know, that's a great foundation to have. So a simple way would be, you know, if you aren't already, you know, a martial arts expert, just take a martial arts class. Learn how to move your body. It could be gymnastics, like body awareness is important. Basic fight skills are important. Not like go get in a street fight. That's terrible advice. But, you know, martial arts or boxing or some form of, of a, you know, fighting skill. And then I think one that's actually we did intuitively, this was before YouTube, before the internet, but one that you could do so long as you do it safely is imitating those who came before. Meaning find your favorite fight scene on YouTube Within reason, like don't no don't get real karambits, don't use real you know weapons. They, you know keep it simple and safe. Always be safe. But you can you know shot for shot kind of mimic the things that you see the masters do, and you'll start to learn why they do what they do, how they do what they do, and that's a really great way to to kind of start and build confidence that you have you can also do those things. But again warning and you can put it put it on the title on the screen <laughs> do not attempt to do these like crazy stunts and falls if you haven't been trained or not in the presence of a trained professional just be safe it's it's it can be very dangerous stuff great well we'll leave that with that last bit of safety information <laughs> always be safe safety <laughs> very important <first>. yeah <laughs> all right well sam thanks so much thank you very much i appreciate it thank you so much for listening to the soundstage insider podcast Special thanks, of course, to Sam Hargrave, a fascinating insight into stunt work, stunt coordination and directing. Definitely check out Extraction 2, which premieres in the US on June 16th on Netflix. 
And if you'd like to learn more about Sam, check out the show notes for links to his other projects. And you can also follow us on social media, Soundstage Insider on Instagram and Soundstage In on Twitter. Don't forget to check out our sister podcast, In the Envelope, which features fascinating interviews with actors from film, television, theatre, and yeah, it's really cool. So that's all from us this week. Thank you so much again for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.